And so after nine years, three months, we were in Eureka, California. We moved to this place. Maybe you've heard it, uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. Have you ever heard of <laughs> we had a little, uh, we had two acres with a little uh, double wide on it. And we, we moved there and it was just a restoration. That's where it really began for me. And during that process, there was a men's retreat that I believe is a Baptist campground, now that I think about it. it. You take the Lebanon turn off and you go up into the hills. I don't know if you know about it, but every year, for years, there's been a men's retreat there. About 3,000 men. Big. And so I just thought, I need, I need to hear from the Lord. Because although I willingly resigned and everything, and it's because my family needed, needed it because the stress of the church was just breaking my family's back. So I thought I'm going to the ministry. Gary Smalley was there. Anybody know Gary Smalley? Probably one of the best authors on understanding how a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. The best on that. He wrote a book called If He Only Knew. In other words, it's as, the, as if the wife was saying, if he really only knew me. Kind of thing. Very powerful. His life changer. I've had hundreds of men read that book. Read it myself. It's a life changer. Anyhow, I went to go see him, but there was another guy that was speaking there. And I can't remember his name right now, but it was a two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon teaching. And so he got up. I'm still feeling pretty broken within and fragile because I was a pastor almost 10 years and I left the ministry very clearly of the Lord, but I didn't have a place, anything to do. I mean, I knew we were going to move to Grants Pass, Oregon. I knew that much, but I did not know what to do when I got there. So it was kind of a fish out of water. And, um, so the guy's teaching, and he teaches on the life of Moses. Okay. And he begins by saying that Moses was a self-made man. He, um, you know the story, he was raised by Pharaoh and his family. He was raised with a silver spoon. Moses was raised with a silver spoon. He was one of Pharaoh's sons, so to speak. His daughter brought him home, found him in the reeds of the Nile River. It's just a marat, amazing story, you know. And uh, raised with a silver spoon, kind of a self-made man. Became very, very powerful, was raised in the wisdom of the Egyptians. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but he got ahead of God. He got ahead of God. And somewhere along the line, he knew, which I'll cover later, he knew that he would be the deliverer of God's people, as promised by Abraham hundreds of years before that. That he was going to redeem his people. He was going to be with his people. He was going to have a land for his people, promised land. They were going to be his people, and he was going to be their God. And... Uh, so, somewhere along the line, Moses, as Pharaoh's son, or prime minister of Egypt, kind of like what Joseph was, sort of, 
um, had a love for his people. And he decided that he was going to get ahead of God and start a coup by killing an Egyptian who was beating one of his slaves who was also Hebrew. And Moses decided to take his matters into his own hands. He was his own self-made man. And this guy's saying this, and I'm in a room of 3,000 men, and I'm the only one there. You know what I mean by that? I'm the only one there. God is talking to me like. And so, he was made in a very worldly way, although it was part of God's plan. And he rises to the top in terms of success, whatever that means. Only to be crushed and rejected by his people. And sent to the backside of the desert doing a humiliating job. And that was tending his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. 40 years. To the point that, and of course he was crushed, he was broken. We'll talk about this next week. But at one point, he's taking his sheep out into the meadows and he sees a bush that's burning and it's not being consumed. So he's very concerned about that and he goes over to the burning bush and God talks to him. He says, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. We'll look at some of that next week. And then he says, Moses, um, I want you to go to Pharaoh, because by that time, God had brought them out of Egypt, another whole story, through the plagues. And now, or he's going to bring them out, rather. And God says to Moses, Moses, excuse me, back up, Moses is in the desert 40 years. People are still there as slaves. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his slaves and my people go. And Moses is stuttering. He's petrified. The Lord stripped him down of his self-confidence so much that he had a stuttering problem. And we're going to read tonight out of Acts that he was a man powerful and of eloquent speech. <clears throat> so he's broken down and rejected so bad that now he has a stuttering problem and he lives in fear. And so God has to tell him four times, no, you're going to do this. And he says, just send someone else. And he said, all right, I'll send someone else. But he's going with you. And you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. So he he rised, he was risen to the top. God totally stripped him of all of that. He still kept the wisdom. He was still powerful. As long as the Lord was with him. He had he learned many, many languages. 
He was a military strategist. Josephus, the historian, wrote of Moses that um, the Ethiopians attacked Egypt and were overpowering, and Moses, in his wisdom, crushed them. So he's a military hero. He was a strategist. He spoke many languages. He learned the wisdom of Egyptians, and he kept all of that, but God stripped him of himself because his identity was in what he accomplished and did. And that's what ruins all of us. I mean, here, by the way, 17 days into retirement. <laughs> 17. If our identity is wrapped up in what we did through our lifetime, if that defines who we really are, what happens when it's gone? We're a shell of a person. If your identity is wrapped up in mothering your children, what happens when they move out? So, what's that? Grandkids, freedom. A lot of people at party. A lot of people have different answers. also true. Change the locks. <laughs> the point is, what has ever defined you and I in life and has given us our identity, when that's gone, we're done. We're done. That's why our identity needs to be in the Lord. And so this guy's saying this stuff, and I am just like, this is me. So in this process, in this teaching, I'm hoping that the Lord really strips us of any identity that we should not be idolizing and instead replacing him as the one that gives us our identity. Our identity is in Christ first and foremost. The other positions in life are just roles. I mean, I don't want to, you know, say that being a, a parent is, I mean, that's one of the highest joys of life, so don't misunderstand me. But it's a function and a role. Our identity is in Christ. Now, let me give you an example. So I had a friend who was a physician he was actually my ophthalmologist many years ago. And uh, he told me that he was going to retire. I said, that's great. His name was John. Great, John. And so about a year after he retired, he was definitely a strong believer. Matter of fact, he, he was Greek. And he, he read the New Testament every day in Greek. So he was a solid believer. And so he retired. And I ran into him a year later. And I said, John, how's your retirement? He says, worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> Why? He's a very famous physician. He said, my work was my life. And now that my work is over, my life. 
life is over. That's what I'm talking about. So Lord, would you help us tonight as we get into your word? Moses is the supreme example of a man who lost himself in his position, in his role, although he loved you. And Lord, you, you, you stripped him down from the inside out so that you could remake him as a man whose identity was wrapped up completely in his faith in you. Lord, would you take us there as well in this series? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you got the notes again, and the reason I wanted the notes to be handed out again is because I just saw you reading ferociously last week, and I go, well, if they actually want the notes, it's just give me the notes. Um, the phrase there up top by A.W. Tozer, a prince of a preacher in the maybe 60s, 70s, 80s. He says, when God wants to use a man greatly, I might as well throw a woman in there because it's the same. When God wants to use a man or woman greatly, he first hurts them deeply. Does anybody know what that means? What do you think that means? The loss of a loved one, sure. But humbles them. God's way up is down. If he's going to use a person greatly in the work of the kingdom, he first hurts them deeply. To wake them up. So they can help and be sensitive to other people? Sensitive to other people. To bring them to a place where they have to look to him. Have to look to him. Like they become totally dependent on him and his provision and his word his truth and so that's what he does to us in our life if he wants us to go deeper in him I don't think there's any other way other than trials he seems to excel at using trials the most in order to conform us to be like Christ and trials are not to embitter us. Trials are to draw us closer to him. Anyway. So that phrase describes Moses perfectly. When God wants to use a man greatly, he first hurts him deeply. Okay? So let's begin. Give you a little background. This is uh, chapter 1. Uh, let's start at chapter 1. Just a couple of verses. So for background, we know that Joseph... I mean, this would have been perfect to teach after Joseph, but we jumped into the New Testament. So Joseph, of course, sold by his brothers. Here's another man like Moses. Stories very similar. Very similar. Broken. Sent to prison for 20 years for something he didn't do. 13 years, actually, and then seven more years. Sold down the river to die by his 10 brothers. and was a slave in Egypt, interestingly enough. And when he was accosted by Potiphar's wife and said, I, how could I do such a wicked thing against God and your husband? 
She was a woman scored and screamed raped and ran out of the palace, and he was arrested by her husband, Potiphar himself, who knew better. We talked about that when we did the series. And so what does he do to Joseph? Who had bought, by the way, rose to prominence in his palace, the palace guard. The Bible says over and over, but God was with Joseph, but God was with Joseph, but God was with Joseph. And all of Joseph's injustices, and in all of our injustices, God is with us. 27 or 24, how does it go? 24 7, 365. Always. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? So, he throws Joseph, who rises to the top in the palace guard, down into the hole. They called it the hole, the dungeon. Actually, he's thrown into a pit twice. Once by his brothers unjustly, and once by Potiphar unjustly. Not because of what he did, but because of what he didn't do. And then you know the rest of the story. The Lord redeems them, the Lord brings them back, the Lord shapes him into a different person. So we read in verse 7, first of all, so, so then, then, then there they are. Joseph and his brothers, there's a famine in the land, and then they move to Egypt. And they're there for I don't know how many years, anybody know? 400 years. 400 years. They're there for 400 years. And by the way, when uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, came down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land, there was only 70 family members. 70. Now, 400 years later, in Egypt, 2 million. So we read in verse 7, chapter 1, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And that's always a sign of God's blessing and promise. When people are fruitful and they multiply and the Lord is with them and they should have died in the family and Famine, and they would have if it wasn't for Joseph. It was all fit together. Okay. Look at verse 8. However, now there arose a new king over Joseph who did not know Joseph. That is a very powerful statement. It's a change in the chapter that suggests there's going to be a massive change for Egypt and the Israelites. This is a new king who did not know Joseph. And, and I have this nagging question, and I'll get to it in a minute, is why would the Lord allow Moses to be born when there was no mercy and compassion for the Jews as there was Joseph? Because a new king, who's very insecure, is threatened by the Jews. Why would Moses be born then? Like there couldn't have been a worse time. Or there couldn't have been a better time. Okay. So this king's insecure. Look what he says in verse 9. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let us multiply, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So therefore, verse 9 through 11, because of this king's insecurity, and I'm telling you folks, I do a lot of work in the workplace. I do a lot of marriage counseling. The most, one of the most difficult people to deal with that's in a leadership role is an insecure leader. One of the worst types of people to deal with is an insecure leader. And that is exactly what Pharaoh was. He was jealous. He was afraid that they would be overtaken. And so on. And so he put taskmasters over them, and they were set not to build the pyramids, but to build store cities. So cities with granaries and storage facilities and all of these things. And it couldn't be a more harsh sentence for God's people. I mean, certainly they wondered, Lord, when are you going to redeem us and bring us out to be your own into the new land you promised. Instead, it gets worse before it gets better. So brick, mortar, straw, hot sun, under a whip for God's people. Um, but look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, this is what God does for us. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. So the harder it got, the more God grew his people in numbers. And you're going to see in a minute that Pharaoh tried three attempts of birth control so they would stop growing as a nation, the Jews. Three of them. Let's look at this. Um, when he worked them hard as taskmasters, and they worked 12, 14, 16 hours a day, that should have reduced the ability for the Hebrew women to get pregnant because of the exhaustion, the time they were away. So the first thing he thought was, we'll just keep them so busy and so beat and so exhausted that it's going to cut down the birth ratio for the Jews. That's one way we can eliminate the growth. Okay. So that's what they tried. And he approaches the midwives, uh, verse... 16, or verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Sephora and Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Now listen to this. People all, God always asks the right people at the right place at the right time, although it seems he runs late. 
Listen to this. This is this is very humorous, sir. Um, but the midwives feared God, means they respected and loved God. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. Their heads would have been cut off if he had any idea that they weren't obeying his edict. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? Brilliant answer. Not the honest, most honest answer in the world, but brilliant. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Well, there's probably strong women in this room that had a, a, a baby before the doctor even got there. Did you? See, see you're strong. See, see, this applies to you. My mom, my mom, my wife. Sometimes she's like my mom. Never forget, forget. No, she. My wife almost gave birth to her second one in the elevator. She came so fast. She didn't have time for painkillers for either one. So when I complain about a sore throat. He says, you need to get over yourself. And she's a nurse. You need to get over yourself, mister. I gave birth to two children over nine pounds without medication. Go find your own cough drops. Okay. So anyhow, they... They, these were very strong women, and that's what they said, and that's why they, they couldn't stop the kids from coming. They were coming too fast. Listen to this. They risked their lives by telling this lie. What does God do? So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Very strong. And he gave them families. So part of the blessing over these midwives was he gave them the ability to give birth and gave them their own families. And they lied. Interesting. Thou shalt not lie. Well, you know. There comes time, there comes a time that when it's acquainted with God's will and God's sovereign plan that we honor him no matter what it takes. He blessed them and they lied. Now, don't go home and say, the pastor said I can start lying again because God will bless me. Did someone ever have Yes. I suspect that they weren't entirely lying. They were telling half truth. Half truth. They, they probably were everything that they said they were. Yeah. Maybe they did give birth before they got there. Well, possibly. They figured they of course, I would maintain that, that, that a half truth is a lie. But. Yeah, but you you know what? We, they weren't giving the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were telling completely the truth. Maybe they came out that fast. Lord's in control of that anyway, right? Okay. So, um, verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied, and he gave them their own families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born in the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every... So that was his three forms of birth control. 
work them so hard that they break their back and there won't be a whole lot left to have children. Or midwives, you kill them on sight and when that didn't work, because God thwarted their plans, did you know that God was in protecting his people and thwarting the plans of the wicked against us? Did you know that? That's what he does. Doesn't mean we don't suffer. Doesn't mean people are not martyred. God thwarts the plan of the wicked and protects us. That's not a bad thing to think of when you think about our country. God protects us. Sometimes we don't see it right away. That's what he does. And so now he's gone to the end degree. Well, I'll just take matters in my own hands. Now every boy that is born, throw them into the Nile River. Interesting. Um, Moses was the prototype, if you will, the anti-prototype of Christ. Very many similarities. Both of them were born during an edict. And the edict was, kill all the children. Isn't that interesting? Both with Jesus and Moses. Similar. Um... Throw the males into the now. Okay, let's take a look at Moses. Chapter 2, verse 1. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, isn't that, with both Moses and with Jesus, wasn't that Satan's desire to thwart no doubt. the man of God? No doubt. No doubt. It's really clear with Jesus. Yes, Steve? Isn't it interesting that, you know, this was state-sponsored genocide and it was post post-abortion and we have the same thing going today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very sad. We're choosing. Yeah. It's not being forced on us. Yeah. Very, very sad. Well, we all know where how God resolved this matter. Yeah. The one that that commanded this edict. And his entire army ended up under the Red Sea. So we just trust the Lord's justice on all of this, always. Okay. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite wife. This is Joseph, uh, Moses' father. Um, why is the house of Levi significant? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Yeah, that was the Levitical priesthood, the house of Levi. Okay, so he was born of the house of Levi, so no doubt he was a part of the Levitical priesthood, and he married a woman that was a Levite, who was very much acquainted, being raised in a home where her father was a priest, and so they marry, which tells me they're very, very much covenant people. They're very, very biblical. They understand the first five books of the Bible, which is the Torah and the Pentateuch. And they know that they know that they know that God is going to raise up a deliverer for his people. 
and make him his people and he be their God. They stake their lives on God's promises. They know truth very, very well. Jochebed um, was the mother and the father was So when it says a man from the house of Levi, I mean, you almost can sense in the text that here comes another, I mean, the curtain goes down on this live performance and a new curtain goes up. Something is about ready to happen. A man from the house of Levi took a wife as a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. So, you know, you read that, and you know what they're doing with sons? Right at this exact time. They're throwing them into the Nile River. And again, I go, Lord, like your timing is impeccable, but questionable. You're bringing a deliverer into the world, born as a Jewish baby boy, at the same time baby boys are being thrown into the Nile River. Now you must have a plan for this one. And she saw that he was a fine child, and she hid them, hid him for three months. Ladies, why, why do you think she could go along for three months and hiding this child from the Egyptian soldiers? Why three months? Eat, sleep, right? There you go. <laughs> eat, sleep. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But you know, he's easier to hide as a little infant. And you know, they sleep, a lot of time sleeping. And, and then, you know, when they start teething, right? Month four, teeth, four, five, six. They start crying. So they're able, they put their life in their hands and their son's life in their hands by hiding this child. That's how committed they were in their faith and to the word of God. They did not fear their lives and they had courage. They did not fear their lives, obviously, and had courage. Now, in all three writings that I mentioned, Paul, uh, Luke, Moses, all of them mentioned that he was either a fine child or a beautiful child. Now, number one, we know that he was beautiful because, again, Josephus, the historian, says that he was so strikingly handsome that Egyptians would stop in the middle of the road and just stare at him as he went by. Maybe even his older years in the chariot. They just couldn't stop looking at this beautiful man. But we also know that it goes a little deeper than his looks. So look, turn to Hebrews, Hebrews now, and we're going to go back and forth. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And Stephen, one, the first martyr, by the way, Stephen, the, uh, he wasn't an apostle, but he was a, uh, 
not an elder, but what's the next one? Elder. Deacon. He's a deacon. Yeah. Stephen. And he's before the Jewish leaders ready to stone him. And he preaches that Christ was the Messiah to these Jews who had just recently killed him on Calvary. And they stoned him to death. He, so Stephen was the first martyr. And uh, so we read, Stephen's given his testimony. This, this whole chapter 7, you've got to read it because if you want to know what the Bible says from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, or Malachi as my Italian friends say, <laughs> read chapter 7 and you get all of the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament in one chapter. And Stephen is telling these people, this is how God unfolded his plan. And he gets to Moses, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in the sight of God. That's different than he was strikingly handsome. He was beautiful in the sight of God, intimating that God had a very special, ordained, sovereign plan for that baby. This is Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't give you the verse. Oh, I said 7. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You know why I said 7? It's because it's Acts 7 that Peter does, does his teaching. So anyway, it's Hebrews 11. And, and, and Stephen says, at this time, Moses was born. And that's kind of what I question on the surface. Why now? They're throwing babies into the Nile River. And at this very time, Moses is born. And then we read, he was, a, he was beautiful in the sight of God. So let's go back to Exodus. There's a difference between being a beautiful, flawless, lovely-looking child or baby and being beautiful in the sight of God. There's a clear distinction that God had a beautiful plan for this one. He was being set aside for a mighty work. Okay? So, everybody, well, and I think the parents knew. I think sometimes parents do know that there's something, I mean, we're not supposed to show favoritism, we know that, but we say there's something about this one. It's a spiritual issue. There's just something about this one. It's different. You ever have that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Something different. We treat them all the same. But we can sense. Um, he was a fine child, and we're back in the Hebrews, and she hit him for three months, and we know why. Three months, critical. When she could hide him no longer, She took for him a basket made of bulrushes, which is the reeds along the Nile. Now, wait till you see the faith in the brilliance of these parables. They were brilliant. Why? And then she takes the reeds. Papyrus, is, it's called papyrus as well, turning it into paper for the first, you know, thing they wrote on God's word, leather and papyrus. 
but Pappas is from the reeds of the Nile. Why would she put him in a basket made of those reeds and daub it, in my version, says butamin and pitch? Why would he do that? Seal it. Seal it. Yeah, it's like tar. Black tar. Okay. So let me continue on. This is a very fascinating text. She put the child in it. It's like a box. And placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Why would she do that? Huh? Well, well, yeah, those reeds would hold him there. Yeah. Any other reasons? Well, it was said that the Pharaoh's daughter came there to We're going to talk about next. That's one of the reasons is I think the family was smart enough to know that that was her route every morning. Yeah, well, to take a bath, you would take a bath right there. So there was something significant there. Yeah. All the time that I'm reading this, I'm thinking, well, technically, she did what the law commanded to throw him in the river. Yeah, she did. So she did. Yeah. But she put him in a basket first. Did <laughs> <laughs> A little tweaking of the law, a little, just a little bit. Well, how about this? Any, yes, sir. It's made out of reeds. That's I never thought that's really insightful. How about this? And I didn't come up with this myself. I read it. The soldiers that are throwing babies in the Nile are not going to look for babies along the Nile. Where would they ever think to look for a baby in the reeds of the Nile? And there's probably other reasons we don't. Brilliant plan. People of faith. In a very desperate situation. Seeking the Lord. They had three months to think of this. Praying. Lord, what do we do? And just a little sidebar. When we are at a fork on the road in our life. And we don't know which way to go. We pray. And we say, Lord, just reveal it to us. Your time, your way. And something happens. And if he doesn't make it clear, this is a very hopeful thing to know about understanding God's will. Let's say you're supposed to go left and you go right. Which we feel like we do all the time. Go left, right. But in your heart, you'll go left if God makes it clear. But it's not clear. And you go right. And then he makes it clear, but before he makes it clear, he shows us grace. Because if we go in the wrong direction, but he knows our heart is willing to do what's clear, he will protect us from making the wrong move. Not discipline us. He'll protect us if our heart was right to begin with. So, for those, we all know that we've agonized over decisions and which way do I go, Lord, what do I do? We've all agonized there. We will continue to agonize over it. But if your heart's right, God won't let you make the wrong decision. Period. Because he loves us too much. 
Okay. Places it among the reeds in the riverbank. Verse 4, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. She is just planted there. Amazing. Now this is almost humorous where we go here, ladies. Um, so now the daughter, well, what do you know? Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. Well, there's a good reason why they hit him, right? He's starting to cry now in a way that's noticeable. She took pity on him. What do you know? This is Pharaoh's daughter, the maniac, the psycho, throwing babies in the river, and in her heart as a woman, she detested. She finds this baby, she puts her own hands into her own life to defy her father. And she took pity on him and said, this is, the, this is one of the Hebrew children. Now, how did she know that? Pardon me? The type of cloth, maybe the color of the cloth, perhaps how he was wrapped as a baby, maybe they wrapped babies different, maybe even the type of basket weave that it was. Because this is a Jewish mother. I don't know if he looked that different, probably, than an Egyptian baby. But they knew right away. Yeah? Well, they circumcised the Jewish baby, you know, and they did not circumcise others that are Noah. So. Another brilliant answer from a Butte Creek parishioner. Okay. Yeah, but am I right to think all of a sudden, I don't know if Moses was circumcised. Well, Abraham because, established it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Moses was because yeah. later we read in the scriptures that God was going to kill him. And he was a man then because he hadn't been circumcised yet. He hadn't been. So that was good, but as we find later that he was circumcised, right? Correct? I can't remember what chapter. Well, they circumcised seven days after the born, so he was, he was, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they didn't circumcise him to hopefully he could blend in with the other. The law hadn't been given then. What's that? The law hadn't been given at that time. Well, didn't Abraham call for it, didn't he? I thought it was Abraham. Yeah, that's all. I'm not sure. Well, one of you scholars out there, just, you might want to look that up. But I'm pretty sure Moses had to be 
circumcised in the desert when they first went into the desert, and God was going to kill them. Yeah. Was it his sons? Yeah. He had two was sons. Okay, okay. So if he's right, that means you're right, <laughs> and I'm wrong. Which is, I'm used to <laughs> being wrong. But I'm married, after all. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. I, I think, well, thank you again, my friend. It might have been the sons. Either way, let's continue. Okay. Okay. So, um, she saw the basket. She has pity on Moses. Then verse 7. This is where it gets, like, humorously brilliant. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, she's just whistling, you know, walking in the neighborhood, right? minding her own business. Then his sister, Moses' older sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, <laughs> Moses' mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. That is the first woman in the history of mankind that was paid wages for nursing her baby. <laughs> What a brilliant plan! The boy's life is not only saved, but she's not going to be touched as his nurse, nor her husband, nor the daughter, and she gets paid for nursing her baby. I just think that, Lord, you've got a sense of humor? Not only saved him, but paid him a royal wage, paid her a royal wage to take care of her own baby. Now we know she's going to give him away. And that was a hard day for her. But a day she expected, and we'll talk about that, okay? Um, so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, I'm going to talk about what that looks like, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses. Now, this is an Egyptian naming him a Jewish name, but it's also an Egyptian term. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So it was both an Egyptian and a Jewish name. The Egyptian said Moses means I drew him out of water, but it's a Hebrew name as well, and he kept it, Moses. Now, when we read, this is significant, when we read that she nursed him until the child grew up, they deemed the grown-up child a lot older than, or, or a child that needed to be weaned, a lot older than we do today. So, ladies... What do you think is an average age for a child to be weaned? Dinner. 
Now. Two, maybe two. Yeah, okay. So in those days, it was up to from three to five. Three to five. Okay. Now, so what that tells me is that he's nursed by his godly mother, living under the roof of his godly mother and father. He has two older godly siblings. Okay. And that mother is teaching him God's word and God's promises as far back as he understood. And that's about two. I think I mentioned before that all three of my kids, up to about age 10, every night I would lay down with them before they went to sleep and I taught them a Bible story. If I was there. And my youngest son, Joe, who's now 30, um, he was, he locked on the truth. And I remember after he was two, I told him, I said, well, son, you know, because I just talked about the love of Jesus and how he healed people and he, he, he spoke kindly and everything he is in a two-year-old way. And then I said, but the bad man, Joe, they killed Jesus. He was only two. He said, why? Why did they kill Jesus? He was too. Really, he was upset. upset. So, he's raising, she's raising this young lad now until he's five. And you got to be certain that she told him the truth of God's promises to Abraham and to the deliverance. Now, turn back to Hebrews for a moment. Okay, this is Hebrews 11. Did I say 11? Yes. Okay, it, it goes on. Let me just read this from this portion. Uh, verse 20 again. 11:20. At this time Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. He, when he was 40 years old... It came into his heart. So something is triggered in his heart. It was either the Lord said something to his heart or the memory of his mother's teachings ignited his heart. But when it was he was 40, it hit him. To visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not. And there's another passage, I think it's in Acts, we won't look at it now. He knew when he took out that Egyptian uh, soldier, he got ahead of God. We'll cover this next time. He couldn't stand it anymore. 
to watch his people being tortured and murdered and whipped. He couldn't stand it. So he saw it. This is where we start next week. He saw it. And he looked this way and that way. Remember I told you he was a self-made man? Self-made men look this way and that way for the best opportunity, but they don't look this way. They don't look up. They look this way and that way. So Moses glances around to see if anyone's looking, and he kills him. He took matters into his own hands. And then the story goes on that he's rejected. And he set out on the backside of the wilderness. Bill, yeah? Would you give us that chapter one more time? Because I didn't read what you just read. Oh, this, is, this was in... Um, Well, it's also Acts chapter 7, but I split back to Exodus. So didn't I just read you out of, uh, was, oh, that was that, was it Acts or Hebrews? I guess read That was Hebrews. No, I, re I read out of Acts. That time, that's why. Thank you. Okay, now let's go to Hebrews. Oh, my God. Thank you for track. It's hard when you got, you know, flipping back and forth. Anyhow, it's not worthy of an excuse. Okay. Now look at verse 23. This is Hebrews' take. Three different angles. You know, if there's an accident on a four-corner stop, and there's a different person on each quarter, they all have a different description of what happened. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the gospel writers. Mm -hmm. And so here's a different description. So look at verse 23. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith doesn't live in fear. That's why they hid their son knowing they could be executed. They were not afraid of Pharaoh. They trusted the Lord, which is the opposite of fear. Anyhow, um, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. Moses knew that he was going to be the deliverer. Probably didn't hit him until he was 40, but I can't help but to believe he learned some of it on his mother's knee. Okay? So why don't we stop there, and then we're going to get more detail in his Moses, into Moses, his position, what he did, and how God dismantled him in his self-confidence to start to rebuild him with God's identity. We'll look at that next time. Okay? 
Lord, thank you for your word. It's so colorful. It's so penetrating. It's so real. And even tonight, based on who we are and what you're doing in our own life, you've spoken to us in different ways for different reasons. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you had people way back then that were committed to you and loved you in despite of the slavery and despite of the bitter treatment. People had faith in you, willing to rest their lives for truth. They didn't cave to the culture of the Egyptians. They didn't cave. Would you make us like that? We don't cave to the worldliness of our culture. That we stand proud and tall with faith in you and your plan, even when we don't sense it or feel it and are in pain because of it. Lord, increase our faith as we go through this teaching on Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Thank you for helping me with my study again tonight, everyone. <laughs> And telling me I was in the wrong book at the wrong time. I appreciate all that. It's really a joy to have feedback. I really like this from all of you. Okay, so next week we're going to get more into Joseph and how God had to break him down. Moses. What did I say? Joseph. Ah! I think we should call it. What's that? Oh, it's retirement. So you start losing your mind in retirement? <laughs> oh, my gosh.